Did anybody read Choose Your Own Adventure books as a kid? Oh, I love them so much. Here's why I love them. I'm dyslexic, so um, I found reading really difficult. But I also have ADD, which means that I find like attention on anything really difficult. So this is a book where like you can put it down at any number of times, and you can pick it up again, and, and you write. And it's interactive. But for those who don't know the pr premise, does somebody want to explain what Choose Your Own Adventure is about? How the book works? Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and it works like that right throughout the whole book. So, yeah, well done. That was awesome. So, if you want to get in the taxi and go with the driver, turn to page 57. If you don't, turn to page 11. If, if you want, and it goes like that throughout the whole thing. Here's the thing. There's a, a lot of arguments both at uh, a high theological level and, you know, um, maybe in your small groups about well, how much does God know and what does that mean about human freedom? And we get all philosophical and forget, like, this is real life and it has implications in terms of discipleship. So this is one of my favourite metaphors for this reason. The author of this book, does he know or she know how the story is going to end? Well, they wrote it, yeah? So they know all the possibilities. In fact, all the possibilities they have accounted for. Is the reader's freedom real when they turn to the different pages? Yeah. I find this incredibly helpful because people are like, well, if God has a plan for my life, what am I missing? Like, what, what, if, what if I turn the wrong way? One of the things I love about the book is that sometimes you find yourself on a page you otherwise would have been only a little later, having learned something else. Isn't that amazing? But here's the thing, there are very real implications for our choices. Sometimes we talk about grace as something less than an adventure. Sometimes we merely talk about grace as pardon and not grace as empowerment. Yes, grace forgives all our sins. But Gandhi, one of his strongest critiques of Christians, Gandhi said, you want to be saved from the consequences of your sins and not sin itself. Ouch prophetic from a Hindu, but if, 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 you, can, if you can hear that, our, if God's adventure is actually joining God in God's kingdom breaking out, when we fail to be present in the moment where God is working, and God is working in every single moment, and the flip side of that is in every single moment, there is an opportunity to actually surrender to a new level and get in on the page that we could be on. And I bring that up because I want to go over... Were crew here last time I spoke at... Um, what did we call it? Darkest Night. Some crew here? Some crew were? So where we left it off... I'll, uh, but for those that weren't, let's quickly go through what I shared in terms of the Darkest Night. And I know some of you have heard me preach before and I'm usually really strong on exegetical and we go really deep down. Um, I'm just going to testify a little tonight. Um, as you, those on Instagram would have seen, that um, I, I really think testimonies are the aftermath of when we choose God's adventure. Testimonies are the aftermath of when we get out of the way and let God love through us. So I want to share where we left off last year when I was with you lot and what's happened si since and, and why watching that video, like, I find it hard not to cry. So as a way of kicking it off, 
Anybody remember this side? So I shared that um, literally the Monday before I came over to share at Darkest uh, Night, which was the Friday, that my wife and I had left our ministry for eight years. We started this church community, an intentional Christian commune in one of the roughest areas in our city where we invite in people who are homeless and people who are refugees and we provide a place to stay. We also teach permaculture gardening. Uh, we also uh, organise in terms of um, peace and environmental issues and th that was our, our life and we felt God clearly asked us to take this huge risk to end up um, moving to a place where it was large enough to actually respond to this huge crisis in Western Australia. Anybody see Q&A on Monday night? Tough crowd? Okay, I see that hand. See that hand? Um, uh, it, it was from Perth, and it, anybody you know, uh, first 20, 25 minutes of the show was talking about mining and the prices and everything. How this affects the poorest of poor on my side of town, it means that people find it very hard to be able to afford a place. Now imagine if you've spent 17 years in a refugee camp, like one of the families that live with us, after fleeing genocide, after one of their precious children was killed in front of them, and then had to spend 17 years in a refugee camp and then arrive, or like one of the other families who did what they could and got here any way they could and have arrived but were detained for like three, four years in detention. And, and you show up and life is so hard and you're trying to learn a new language and you're trying to deal with you've lost your family and your loved ones and your country and your sense of place and self and all of that is gone. And now you're having to deal with being in a strange place with new customs and all the rest. And the price of rent is just ridiculous in WA. A lot of refugee families are actually ending up homeless. So what we wanted to actually sh show, it, like, and it, it's not rocket science kind of stuff. And to go back to choosing God's adventure, I, like a lot of young people, and not just young people, they, they say, Jared, I, I don't know what God's will is for my life. What's God's plan for my life? That, you know, they, they love Jeremiah 29, but God has a, a plan for it. Like, and they quote it, and I just don't know what God's plan is for my If you're not sure the details of God's plan, get the big picture first. God's plan for all of creation is that one day, God's very presence will flood all of creation like the waters cover the seas. That the love we see in Calvary, the love that rose our Lord from the grave, that that longs to live in our life now as a sign that it one day will conquer all of reality. If you get the big picture, then you can go, what's God's plan for my life? Oh, I'm to love God. I'm going to start there today. I'm to love my neighbour. I wonder who my neighbour is. Yes, it is the Samaritan who you pass on, the, but it's actually also the person who's next door. <laughs> like, just, just start next door. You're like, I'm not sure where God is in my life. Well, sometimes the advice I give to young people is, have, have you tried, um, well, to be completely honest, have you tried stop sleeping with your girlfriend? Uh, it's a lot easier to hear from God when um, your life is actually surrendered. Uh, have you tried stop pursuing money first? and everything the world pursues and actually seek first the kingdom. But also, have, is, how, how are your experiments in letting your yes be yes going? How's that, how's that going for you? How, how are you going with leaving your offering before you come to church or small group and going to reconcile because that's what Jesus commands, that we're to be a, a reconciling people? How's that going? How's loving your neighbour going? How's loving your enemy going? How's praying for your enemy going? You want to know what God's will for your life is? Start with what Jesus makes really clear. And I promise you, because God promises, 
that you will find your purpose, your calling, with your gifts and your talents and your passions as you surrender and the grace that saves you, you start to be obedient with. So, back to Monday. We left this community. We put an offer on this place. This is a place here. Next slide. Then I told a story about being on the plane. I don't know if anybody re remembers all that and how Josh rang. So, um, you remember? Awesome. Um, uh, so, we go to put an offer on the place. Within five minutes of putting an offer on the place, we got an email from somebody in Newcastle saying that we were feeling led to um, leave our ministry, uh, sell our house, move into a place where we can house refugees. We feel like this is what God's asking. We know you work with, with these people as well and have a call into that and we just want to tell you to pray for us and our head's spinning out because we received this half an hour once uh, I had the day off work, travelled to my parents' place because my mum drives trucks because she's cool. And, and the, reason, the reason why my mum was driving a truck that day is because we were contacted by a bank that said, uh, um, we have 13 stories, we're getting brand new furniture, um, we're going to provide a, a truck and you can come and take as much as this as you want. So talk about like God's timing. Talk about what happens when we risk. And faith isn't about asserting a number of doctrines. Yes, doctrine is incredibly important. But only because it helps us in the dance of discipleship. If you stop at doctrine, you're in trouble. Because doctrine is something that should bring us into a larger story of scripture where we find ourselves as actors in this beautiful play whose final scenes is the love that we see of Calvary conquers everything and so faith is the risk of leaning into God's will and what God acts, asks of us and acting on it it's that simple so you're like God what do you want from me tonight just choose one thing Jesus commands and don't do it out of well if I do this then God will love me or no that's rubbish you know the preacher's line there's nothing you can do to make God love you more there's nothing you can do to make God love you less sit with that and then realize that grace and let that grace overtake your imagination, your heart and your mind and everything that you've got in your body and then risk a little faithfulness. So we got a phone call from Josh Kelsey saying, really looking forward to seeing you on Friday night. And I'm like, Josh, what are you talking about? Like, we've just left our ministry, got all this serious stuff going on. This is my speaking engagements for that weekend before. And I was like, Josh, I have to speak twice on Saturday in Perth and Fremantle. Um, there's no way I can make it. And he goes, why don't we pray? Mm. Don't pray. It always leads to your life being messed up. Um, uh, that's truth. You can, you can tweet that. It's, it's true. Um, Josh prays very clear sense that I need to come get off the phone go back to the emails there's another email saying because it was sent to us in Perth and a friend in Adelaide a friend in Adelaide's a pastor at Activate Church Brad Chilcott runs Welcome to Australia Brad responds and says people in our church are feeling the same way we're doing the same thing they don't even know that we've just put an offer on this place that morning we go and if we can go to the next slide here is the place. So since uh, moving in, I've been picked up by taxis early in the morning to go to the airport twice. Well, a number of times, but twice. Two different taxi drivers have said to me, oh, so you're living in the old meth lab. So this was literally uh, a meth lab. So talk about stories of redemption. This literally was... It was actually built as a four-square gospel church in the 1970s and 
Hank, somebody who used to play in the shadows, used to lead worship there. I don't even know who the shadows are. My mum tells this story and she gets excited about it. I don't even understand. Um, uh, and, and then it was an Aboriginal community centre and then it was a daycare centre. Then it was subdivided into um, three apartments and then somebody bought it up in Queensland. Their business went bust. They couldn't pay it off. Banks took it back. It just sat there and became a meth lab for a number of years. And now it is first home project. Next slide. This is the IKEA-like ram raid that um, filled our um, carport on that day because we were sure that we were going to get it. Like There were so many signs, uh, so many things that had fallen into place um, to, to say we're going to get this. And I don't know if any of you actually remember me showing this and saying, like, we've got no idea, like, um, uh, like, but we're risking it all and we thought a bank would come through to us. Next slide. So we're going to jump to what most people now see on Facebook uh, at the First Home Project um, uh, page. So see photos of my gorgeous wife, and this is little Esper. Esper's just turned seven years old. She is hilarious. Um, she's dressed up like that because her sister got baptised. They are old school in terms of uh, going to church. Like uh, little Safoni, who's next to my son Tyson. Tyson's now six foot two. It's really intimidating. Um, he's, he's six, he can send me to my room now. It's, 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 it's really bad. Um, and I know what, Tyson's like tall, dark and handsome and I'm short, odd, funny looking, but um, uh, little Safoni next to him looks mean in a suit. Other photos that people see now are things like, thanks. Ba -ba -da -ba. Um, th this is us uh, learning Kenrawanda as they learn English. You can see uh, our icon of Martin Luther King in prison uh, above it there. Um, so, uh, Meza. Everybody say Meza. Yeah. So now you know how to say good in Kenrawanda. So that'll come in handy if you're ever in the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo or Rwanda itself. Next photo. Um, so here's our daily life. Um, these beautiful kids um, uh, inhabit our life. There's 17 of us at First Home Project. Is that not amazing? Like, and this is what people see, but there's this huge gap between the photos that I showed last time I was here a year ago and all this happening. So next slide. Some people know this kind of stuff, that this made uh, the press in Albania and Kosovo. We were approached by a current affair today, tonight, and the project, all asked that they do shows about us. <laughs> Two of them we turned down very quickly, I'll let you guess. <laughs> and, and can you imagine the show they would have done, though? Like, tonight on... No, I better not. Like, I better not. Salmonella in your kids' school lunches and... Hippies take in refugees and talk about Jesus. Oh, I don't know what they would have done. Like, um, but it, it, it just would, this is actually a newspaper article from Albania. I don't read Albanian. But um, this is Rona Nishliu, who I spoke at. Um, uh, we were both keynoting. She came fourth in Eurovision. That was an odd event. Like, so here's Jared from Australia and here's Rona from Eurovision. Um, uh, the only words I can make out in this article are things like Facebook, Twitter, $600,000 um, and First Home Project. So, next slide. I want to actually fill in what happened and how central your community and your prayers uh, were to all of this. So, we left and literally I, I left here and I don't know if you lot remember that um, uh, in two weeks from when I talked last time I was speaking at Splendour in the Grass was phenomenal. We should hang out and tell stories about that. Stories about um, Will Anderson afterwards coming up. And I don't know if anybody's ever seen Will's comedy gigs, but he's, he's had like really hard goes at 
um, faith in the, in the background uh, in, the, in the past. And he came up afterwards and he's like, I just got to interview Billy Corgan now, but can we hang out afterwards? And I was like, sorry, Will, I'm busy. No, I didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was like, yes. Um, uh, and w we spent literally 45 minutes um, before he had to go on to the next gig, like him just asking me all this kind of stuff. Um, I get back to the tent and uh, we got range and Will's now following me on Twitter. I'm like, this is a strange day. Like, um, there's lots of stories there, but what we expected to, oh, there we go. Look, so, um, yeah, yeah, go there, why not? Um, so this is backstage at Block Party, looking from the stage at everybody that was there. So we had backstage, like, it was phenomenal. Like, it was so, um, uh, there's Kimbra, um, and here's a panel with um, uh, crew from Super Jesus, Tom from uh, Tom and Alex Morning Show, um, John Safran, uh, middle guy um, is from The Chaser, he was facilitating, then Catherine Denevy, the famous atheist comedian, uh, next to him, uh, one of the guys from uh, 50 Years of Dylan and Eskimo Joe, and the guy on the end who needs a haircut is me. So if we go back to the last slide, I shared with you guys that that's where I was off to and everything. The two weeks in between that, we expected a bank to come through and say, you've got a loan. Uh, I work for Australia's largest aid development relief organisation. Teresa is on good money as a social worker. If we were going for a home for ourselves, we would have got it straight away. We got rejected by 14 different banking institutions. Um, the, the prayers of you lot, and particularly hearing from you two in particular, day after day, uh, about your prayers for us meant so much. Um, but there's so many people here who your prayers and journeying with us meant so much, particularly on the Tuesday when it was the cutoff and everybody was praying and we expected to hear that a bank was going to come through and say, here's your loan. I was actually in a car with my um, soon-to-be brother-in-law. We were moving, uh, going to pick up a place was donating 14 doors for um, the, the place because all the doors were removed. And so we're, we're in a truck going to pick up these doors and get a phone call that we'd been rejected by the final bank. And this is a story that others don't know, but it's the, the, the space between last time we were hanging out and what everybody saw in terms of that video and, and then what happened. What people don't know is that Josh Kelsey rang within five minutes of the cutoff and Josh said, so you got it. And I just said, nah, Josh, we didn't. And here's the thing. When the New Testament talks about that faith is a gift that's given to the church, we often internalize it and say, God needs to give me more faith. It doesn't read like that. It says, faith is a gift given to the community. So the importance of actually being involved in community is when you can't believe somebody else is holding that portion for you, and so when Josh rang me, he was holding the faith that I needed. And so Josh, being the great pastor he is, Josh just said, let's pray. And so we started to pray, and I'm actually sitting uh, on the train now because we didn't go to pick up the... And I, like, I actually started crying on the train, which is awkward. Um, uh, and jo Josh is praying, and Josh has this word for us. Josh says, this is a Lazarus moment. Though it looks like everything is dead, you need to trust that God's glory will be seen in this situation. And in fact, God's glory shines at brightest in the 11th hour. And so we met that night and we were like, I shared with everybody what Josh had shared and we prayed together. And then we put together this plan, which is First Home Project. We risked being sued for a quarter of what the property is work, worth, as well as losing $10,000. 
um, of the deposit that we'd already put down. And $10,000 is a lot of money for everyone, but we'd actually been living in community where we shared what we had in common. So it's literally our only savings between us. That was all of it. And we move forward in the faith, armed with this little video that we started off with, that the community would be the bank. And because we were responding as Jesus responds, being faithful to the things that specifically he's asked us to do, God's glory would be seen. So from there, we went to, uh, go back just one. So there we go. So we went here and we had backstage passes, um, full access to everything. Uh, like it, it was phenomenal. And uh, Dave Hack, who some of you might know from Riverview Church, came with me. A phenomenal guy. Um, uh, Dave's the young adults pastor there. We came back early to launch this video. And literally what happened within the next two weeks, thanks, is we started this campaign just using Facebook, Twitter and Instagram where we needed to find $600,000 alone that was coming not from banks but from the community. And um, so I want to thank many people in this room who, who gave, who were actually a part of First Home Project, who sought first the kingdom of God and put their treasure, you know what I mean? Like they, they actually, their heart was where their treasure was in really real ways. So this is nine days down and we're 350,000 uh, to go. Next slide. We jump forward. This is the campaign. Literally, it was people like GetUp came on board and fully supported us. Um, they're 500,000 members. Uh, we had like um, crazy the people that were helping us out from all around the world. Next slide. This is five hours left and we are $46,000 down. You know how jo Josh was talking about the 11th hour? We were feeling the 11th hour. Next slide. This is one hour and we're $34,000 down. When I started at the start by saying, well, yeah, th that was literally what was going on at the time. So we were doing anything we could to, if that was trending on Twitter, we're like, okay, something about the basketball game and hopefully more people will see it. Like that's literally what we're, we're thinking. But when I was talking at the start that choosing God's own adventure and the importance of our decision and the importance, in fact, of our surrender to the Holy Spirit in this moment now is that God is dynamically active in every moment longing for God's kingdom to break out, that God's new world is dormant just underneath the soil, waiting for us to plunge down our roots and just get out of the way. And this was the choices we had to make. Next slide. 15 minutes to go, 21,000 down. The next thing that people actually saw, thanks, next slide, was time was done. This is a story that people don't know. What happened with five minutes to go is there's a whole team of us uh, at phones uh, um, and uh, my mum comes in from the other room and she's like, Jared, there's somebody on the phone for you. And I'm like, mum, kind of a bad time. And mum's like, stop being a jerk. It's about First Home Project. And so I took the phone. And this woman goes and telling what felt like the longest-winded, like, um, so she's like, oh, I saw this on Facebook and... I, I was like, oh, I really wanted to be a part of this, but I saw the cutoff was 5 p.m. And um, uh, then I thought I would ring anyway. And th the thing was, because we're in Perth, we're two hours behind. So that was the first thing. It was like, like miraculous. Like, um, she goes, I saw it on Facebook and I clicked off it. 
because uh, I thought, oh, I'd missed it. And then she said her words, the Holy Spirit prompted me just to pick up the phone anyway. She then went on to say, I want to give, and the, the amount that she gave in a loan was actually $200 more than what we actually needed. I literally fell to the floor and cried like a big girl's or boy's blouse. Um, I, I just wanted to be inclusive there. If, if there are boys wearing blouses, I don't want to leave you out. Um, and once I picked myself up from the floor, I looked back at the computer and literally it read four, five, nine. It was one minute to go. So the first thing I did was text Josh and I was like, forget 11th hour, try 11th hour and 59th minute. So, next slide. This is what people saw next. Tyson's idea uh, to break it using Ron Burgundy. The incredible effect that this has had, and I think why it's had the uh, effect that it's had, is because people can sense that it's kingdom. People can sense that this is something about how the world is meant to be. I don't know if you heard the news today, but there was a... Was a baby who was one year old who is on a morgue table today who drowned at sea. In worship, I just had the strongest sense as we were seeing of the greatness of God's love for us. And I just kept thinking of this kid. The greatness of God's love for this kid is so immense. This precious little child this precious little child that, like our Lord, maybe like Joseph, her dad, in the middle of the night, according to what Matthew 2.14, has to take his wife and his baby and flee because of a murderous regime. This little child, and I don't know if they were Hazara, but this little child who, who's running away, maybe like a lot of our Hazara friends who are refugees from murderous regimes, I did watch Q&A on Monday night because I had a mate that was on the show and I just found myself thinking, we're talking about an ecological crisis and everybody's just talking about economics. We're talking about real people, people Jesus loves and died for and rose for and everybody's just talking about boats. People don't know, or maybe they do, that when our Lord said that I was a stranger, the word there can be translated alien. It doesn't mean people from outer space. It means people from elsewhere. We would say asylum seekers or refugees. Jesus says, I was an asylum seeker. I was a refugee. And you what? Welcomed me. Or Hebrews said, um, uh, know that when you're entertaining, um, when you invite the stranger in, you're what? Entertaining angels. They might not know these scriptures, but people feel what they're made for. The mercy that we were made for, the compassion that we were created for. When people see that in your life, it doesn't matter how eloquent you are or how fancy your preaching is or anything else. There is something powerful about a life that God's love is allowed to flow through. And God chooses those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith. God chooses that, that which is weak to shame the wise. We preach a gospel which is foolishness and a stumbling block of a God whose love saves, a God whose Calvary-like love saves.
And when we risk leaning into letting that love flow in our life, it has this phenomenal effect. We need that effect in our world. If your faith is dry, if you're in a place where you're like, I'm not sure what God's will is for my life, can I encourage you to surrender and lean in and risk living God's love? Feel like I'm not sure where God is in my life. Try visiting somebody in prison. I promise you your Bible study that night will come alive before bedtime like it hasn't in a long time. Spend some time with a sister or brother with disability who has so much to give but even at church is sometimes overlooked. I promise you the richness of grace you will experience, you will deepen in God's love and grace for you in such ways that it becomes contagious. Next slide. My mate Brad started Welcome to Australia. He's a pastor in uh, Adelaide to do just this. And if you're looking for a practical way to get involved, I'd say do just that. But I don't want to just talk about ways we can socially be involved. I want to talk about the gospel. Tonight, I want to tell you that Jesus gave his everything, that God gave everything on the cross, that the love that saves us, we might witness to and live. There's no big hypey, band's not going to come up or anything like that. I just want to give you the very real opportunity to risk God's love. To risk leaning in and letting that love overwhelm your life. But it will take risk and it won't be easy and you will be persecuted. The hate mail that we received, it's bizarre. Uh, in all seriousness, there was somebody who was going around to churches in Perth telling them I was a false prophet because of First Home Project. That's a blessing. Jesus promised, blessed are you when you're persecuted. doesn't feel like a blessing, but you know you're, you're close to God when you're given that kind of hard time. So my invitation tonight is twofold. I want to invite you to stand in that place where you risk living God's love. And practically regardless of where your politics are, and hopefully our politics are at the cross, hopefully our politics aren't left or right, they're Christ-centred. And I don't mean being centrist, I mean centred on the words of Jesus, knowing that how Christians change the world is not trying to get into government and orchestrate the world turning out right, but by living God's love. So I'm wondering if you'll take a stand for refugees tonight. Because they're one of the most hated people groups you want to see where the persecuted church is in Australia? They're often in our refugee camps because they're fleeing places where they're being persecuted. And I'm stunned at the number of Christians that respond to them just like the world does. These are our brothers and sisters. Christ promises that he is camouflaged in the poor and the vulnerable. This isn't a political issue. This is a people issue. God loves people. So tonight, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to wait.